0: This is Positive Parenting, parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott.
1: Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. In recent years, there has been an increasing focus in popular culture on the rising numbers of boys who seem to be at loose ends in their early adulthood. There were fewer attending college and fewer are pursuing work away from home or starting families of their own, even. And while there are several factors that contribute to this crisis of manhood, many are nodding to a culture that doesn't support the ideals that encourage boys to flourish and grow into motivated, courageous, and kind adults and young men. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with a popular educator who has three boys of her own and a daughter, and she's somebody who recognized this negative effect that the culture is having on boys, and she has really come up with a fascinating way to encourage boys, like her sons, to develop strong character. She based it on what's called the Knight's Code of Chivalry that's in the Song of Roland that you may have read, or even the King Arthur stories. And that includes a number of important characteristics, such as things like speaking the truth, being generous, protecting the weak, pursuing excellence, respecting women, and standing against injustice. I'm Armin Bra. We'll start talking about why respect and honor and chivalry are not at all antiquated concepts when Positive Parenting continues right after this.
0: Every hiring manager knows that a company is only as good as the people it's made from. So where do you find the best people? That may surprise you. Meet the Grads of Life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not
1: have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs.
0: This is talent worth knowing about.
1: Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brought. My guest for this part of today's show is Heather Haupt, who's the author of Nights in Training, Ten Principles for Raising Honorable, Courageous, and Compassionate Boys. Heather, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you.
1: So let's start off with the the concept of honorable, courageous, and compassionate boys. What? Why is that so important these days in, in a an era where everybody is trying to make boys and girls out to be the same and all that. What, you you seem to be taking a very traditional tack, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just wondering right. why why you feel that it's that that's necessary right now.
2: Well, because we because we are not recognizing differences between boys and girls, we are we're not reaching the heart of our boys, and so boys are most. I mean. They're raised primarily by female caregivers, mothers, grandmothers, and they go to school where teachers are primarily female. And so we are operating from a certain mindset and we we want things for, for our kids, for all of our kids. We want them to have empathy. We want them to be able to feel compassion towards others. But what we fail to recognize is that there are differences in how we motivate boys versus how we motivate girls. And so in some ways, I feel like we've, we've sort of shut down boys because we, we sort of look at their boundless energy and we go, can't you just calm down? And we look at their penchant to turn that stick into a sword and their desire to battle. And, and we feel like there's something wrong there and that we need to we need to shut that part of them off in order to develop empathy and develop compassion. And so I make the case in my book that we actually need to respect and honor the way they're wired and utilize that to reach their heart and bring about these changes and help them to develop empathy. And so these things are possible, but we need to sort of change up our approach when it comes to our boys.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I think that there's a certain sense that boys are flawed just by being boys and that girls are the right way to be. Uh, And I think a lot of boys get that, and they, they get that in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of media messages. There's certainly... You know you, you look at the statistics about the number of boys who are or the percentage of kids who are on Ritalin and other behavior enhancing drugs or behavior modifying drugs for for ADD and things like that and it's way over to boys and kids who are expelled from school and all sorts of things and that there's a very strong message there that uh, that boys are getting that there's something wrong with them
2: right and yet as parents, we love our sons. And we want them to succeed in life, and so, and that's where we just need to reach out, figure out what motivates them, honor their desire to move, their desire to be strong, and, and really go at it from that perspective and give them a vision for what their lives could look like and how they can really um, be world changers.
1: So how do you characterize this? How do you phrase this to boys? that you, the, the, you're you still sort of saying, well, you, you need to change.
2: Right. What we're doing is we're recognizing their strengths, but then we're seeking to civilize it. And so I tapped into sort of a way, a way we can do this when I was learning about the Middle Ages. And so I had read a book to my boys about knights, and they were just mesmerized. And as I started researching about chivalry, because I, I thought, well, I want to teach my boys to respect women, And it was in that process that I started to discover really what chivalry was all about, and it was so much more than how a man treats a woman. It was an entire code of conduct, and it was actually brought about as a way to sort of civilize the warrior class, because they recognized that a man with unchecked strength um, was just a mercenary, and he was going to hire himself out to the highest bidder, and he was this kind of man was either capable of great good or he was capable of great evil. And so what they needed is is training and sort of a direction, a place to go, a vision for what they could accomplish with their life and with their strength. And so when I saw that, I knew that's what I wanted to zero in on, is I wanted to respect everything that made my boys uniquely boy, and then I wanted to give it purpose. Oh. so there was direction
1: to how they wanted to use their strengths. It's just a, a devil's advocate kind of question. Why do you think we're not thinking in terms of talking to girls about how to be more like boys, how to, how to use their strengths to bring out the, the aggressiveness or the kinds of things that we talk about that make boys boys? There, there, I mean, there, there still is a sense that one is a little better than the other.
2: Well, that's where we need to be careful with how we're communicating because one is not better than the other. And that's – I talk to my boys all the time and my daughter that we each have different strengths that we bring. And so when we when we play up on our individual strengths, no matter what they are, and we all have different varying levels, like I would say that I tend to be – I was a tomboy growing up, so I have more of that battle warrior type mentality Um but when we, when we recognize our strengths, each of our individual strengths, we're stronger together. And so, so I do so in not saying one is superior to the other, but that we're different. And when we really grow into who we were meant to be, then our families are going to be stronger and our communities are going to be stronger. So I do think it's important to not pit one against the other.
1: Oh no, in I our culture, yeah.
2: we've spent so much time helping girls—
1: Thrive, right that right.
2: there has been sort of a neglect on the
1: boy front. Yeah, I mean I, I'm just still kind of I mean completely agreeing with you. It's just this you know, the idea of go have to get in touch with your your feminine side and all that. It just it still pits it a little bit as coming from a, a place of default, but we'll we'll get past that. Um <laughs> what do you so what do you think a, a boy could look like?
2: What do you mean by
1: that well you know you're talking about to, to respect the way that boys naturally are and but to to expand to bring in other things
2: um, so you're saying
1: well i mean you're you're sorry. talking about the to you know to be to be the knight and to to go chivalry and and incorporate that into your life how does that how does that look oh
2: okay yes. Um, well, what we do and what I write about in my book is captivating a boy's imagination. So boys everywhere love the realm of knights. And so utilizing that to say, okay, this, we are going to engage in knight training and we are giving you the challenge to live according to the knight's code of chivalry. And, um, and so we do so by, I, I laid it out. So I, when I discovered... That um, chivalry was so much more than how a man treats a woman and that it was the entire code of conduct, I printed off a knight's code of chivalry and I issued my boys the challenge. And I said, okay, we're going to engage in knight training you are going to learn to live up to each of these aspects, to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're going to learn the importance of obeying those in proper authority. Um, you have opportunities each and every day to stand against injustice and evil. And it's important that you defend the weak and protect them. And so we started going through each aspect of the code and looking for it in the stories we were reading and then looking at our everyday life going, how can you live this out now? And so it gave them a sense of excitement that they were on an adventure right now. And so they were on the lookout. How can I help? You know, whereas so all of a sudden that kid that was lonely at the park wasn't just an invisible person, it was, oh, that's someone that needs my help and I have the opportunity to be the hero to that boy right now or that girl and go over and talk to them. And so it just sort of changed the way that they viewed going about their everyday life.
1: Hm. That's really interesting. And they they took to that, it sounds like.
2: They did. They did because we, we started with stories. And so I think there's something inside of every boy that they want to be the hero. And so when I told them that I not only thought they could be the hero to the people around them, but that I expect them to, and I'm here to help them do that, they really latched onto that idea.
1: If you're just joining us, I'm Armin Broad, and I'm speaking with Heather Haupt, who's the author of Knights in Training 10 Principles for Raising Honorable, Courageous, and Compassionate Boys. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to get right back into it with Heather Haupt, talk about a lot more of what's going on with the Chivalry Challenge, what Knights in Training is all about, and a lot of the issues and the kinds of things that we're specifically going to be asking boys to be doing that's going to turn them into the the courageous, honorable, uh, compassionate young men that we want them to be. You're listening to Positive Parenting. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Heather Hopt, who's the author of Nights in Training, Ten Principles for Raising Honorable, Courageous, and Compassionate Boys. Let's talk a little bit about some of the, the items in the code you're talking about. Stand against injustice. You, you mentioned something about going over to help a, or to comfort or to be involved with a lonely child at a park. What what other kinds of, of things are you talking about there?
2: Um, well, let's see. So you it, it encompass those, and those are the, really the two quintessential aspects that we always think about with Nights, which is standing against injustice and then stepping in and protecting others. But other ones that are included, included um, include uh, respecting the honor of women. So that is sort of what we think about when we think of chivalry. And so talking to our boys about how really we need to learn to recognize sameness before differences, that we're, we're human beings, that we're people, and people are deserving of respect. Um, not because of who they are, how similar they are to you, or what they contribute to society, but simply because they're people. And so we really work, especially in these early years, to give our boys a strong foundation in how to relate to the girls and the women in their life, knowing that that's going to really lay a foundation for later years. We talk about not giving wanton offense, and how there are plenty of fights out there and you don't need to go around picking one and so we we have an opportunity to talk to our kids about what is bullying Mm -hmm. and how can we keep an eye out towards others and yes we can we can tease but if it's not funny and if someone's reacting that's a sign that you need to back off and not not push that that's Hurtful to someone. And so we, a true knight, is not someone who goes around looking to pick a fight. Um, And then, I mean, related to that, we're going to be talking about table manners. And it's just really fascinating when you look back at the Middle Ages and you see all of the crazy rules they had of etiquette. And they had those, and we talked to our boys about they had those in order to preserve peace. And so that there wouldn't be brawls erupting at these meals. And so we talked to our kids about how you need to learn to read the situation that you're in and how you behave when you're eating with your buddies around the campfire. It's going to be different than if you're in a fancy restaurant or if you're eating with important people. And so what we're doing is we're talking to our kids about reading situations um, so that we don't give unnecessary offense. And in the process, we're equipping our kids for life, because as they move out into adulthood, they're going to need to sort of read the situation and go, hey, can yeah. I? Yeah. what can I do here? How can I function in um, in a way here that wins people over, that makes friends instead of making enemies?
1: Uh, how do you have discussions with boys who are growing up in a culture where I think— Generally, emotions are not something that, that boys are encouraged to look at, either their own or other people's. We, we tend to kind of think that uh, anger is pretty much the only emotion that, that males have. And, you know, the whole big boys don't cry, and you're supposed to be tough, you're supposed to be stoic. But compassion is an important part of, I think any, any adult male will tell you, you know, compassion is an important part of, of masculinity. How do we get that across to our boys?
2: Um, well, that's where I love this idea of the night train because we embrace um, sort of a this battle mindset and we find language that reaches them. So, yeah, when I talk to my boys about, hey, look at, you know, that hurts so-and-so's feelings, all of a sudden they're going, well, feelings, that's sort of girly. And um, even though I've worked hard to never convey that in my home, they, they just sort of pick it up from the culture around us. But yet, if I go to them with the same thing, like, son, you need to be aware of your surroundings. And so we talk a lot about situational awareness in our homes with our boys and being on the lookout for who is in need and what, what's going on sort of behind the scenes, not just what someone's saying. And so we talk to our sons about, you know, a night does not just wait for someone to come and say, hey, I need help. I'm hurting here. A knight is on the lookout for where they can step in and make a difference. And so we do things like that to help our boys um, just open their eyes that there are needs around them and that they can step in and help. But we've couched it in terms, I guess, that are a little bit more masculine or boyish. And so they latch onto that and they can understand that and they want to embrace that. When it's really, it's the same thing as how I would talk to my daughters or how people would talk to me like, oh, that really hurts so-and-so's feelings. And immediately I feel empathy and I can put myself in their place and go, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. And my boys weren't doing that. And yet when I put it in terms of stepping in, reading situations and sort of reading behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and being on the lookout for how they can help, that changed the conversation and made it easier for them to relate to.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a really fascinating idea You know, you talk about the culture And you mention things like movies As being a part of the culture And the way that we need to be looking out For boys and things like Frozen I, I was reading that and kind of chuckling Because I think it's such a There's some wonderful stuff in there But it's certainly a, a girls are powerful Type of a movie What's your objection to pop culture Things like that?
2: need to realize that everything conveys a message. And so as parents, we need to be mindful media consumers and not just look at ratings and how, you know, are we okay with our children being exposed to this level of violence or this level of profanity, but really looking deeper and going, what are the messages being conveyed? to our children because our children were shaped, whether we like it or not, by the messages we hear, especially when they hear the same message over and over again. And so we've watched Frozen in our home a couple of times, but we didn't want it to be a regular part of our children's diet because it conveys men as either sort of bumbling and lazy and meh, or power hungry and evil. And so we, we look at that and we go, that's not the message we want to give to our boys. That's not what they should want to aspire to be like. Um, to either, you know, I don't want to be like the angry evil guy, so I'll just sort of be a hmm, whatever and wait for the girl to come in and save the day. And so we, we sort of we talk about them as we, we watch. You know, what's going on and why is this guy doing this? And, I mean, another movie that comes to mind is the Lego movie. And my boys loved it. It's hilarious. And yet when you look at that, you see the main character is portrayed as sort of a not-all-there guy, um, no ideals, no aspirations. And he only manages to be the hero of the story because his female sidekick comes in and saves the day for him. And so so I look at that. I'm like, that's not what I want. And so we look We are intentional to look for movies that convey messages where there's both strong male and female characters, ones that honor the role of fathers, because we want our boys to want to grow up and to not just sort of prolong this adolescence, but to really give them a vision for what it could mean to be a man.
1: And how do you help boys understand other parts of, of popular Culture. I was just actually watching the movie Logan yesterday, which is the the final chapter of the the uh, X Men, but the Wolverine part of it. And just this is something that I've noticed in a lot of other movies. There there were probably I would have to say a hundred people killed in that movie. All of mm-hmm. them male. And if you just look at almost any movie where there's superheroes or there there lots of people are dying, they're almost all men. And you can hardly walk away without thinking that there's something that's kind of expendable about us, that we're not valuable in the same way. And and I'm wondering about boys growing up in a world where they think that they don't have a value.
2: Wow, that's really interesting. I had never thought of it. Oh, watch that, that.
1: every every movie. Well, now now you'll now you won't yes. be able to stop yourself. But but uh, think about that.
2: Yeah. Which is why it's important that we have discussions with our children because we can't like shelter our kids from the media that's out there, but we can talk to them about it, especially as they're getting older and starting to move out and, and watch things when, when we're not there is we want to equip our children to recognize these message messages, to even spot what you have noticed and go, Is this right? Am I comfortable with this? What does this say about men? What does this say about women? Um, what it's to say about humanity and to really be thinking these things through instead of just sort of mindlessly consuming.
1: You know, positivity. Heather, we only have just a couple seconds left, but I do want to touch on something because you mentioned a few times that most boys are, are, are into this and most boys are going to be in, interested in becoming the hero. There are going to be some who are not, though. How do you incorporate those boys into the conversations who are just not drawn to this? They don't see themselves there.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think we need to honor and respect how each of our boys are individually wired and, and, so, and sort of go with, with who they are and how they're wired to be and make adjustments along the way. And that's where we as parents are in a position of, of influence and power because we're going to understand how each of our individual children um, are influenced and are inspired.
1: Heather Hopps, the author of Nights in Training, Ten Principles for Raising Honorable, Courageous, and Compassionate Boys. Heather, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. Just about everyone, young, old, and everything in between, is fascinated by magic, especially the kind that involves transforming objects from one thing into another. This week, we take a look at a number of terrific family activities that do exactly that, whether it's changing a ten of clubs into a ten of hearts, a bunch of powdered ingredients into delicious cupcakes, or a locked safe into an unlocked one. Magic, Silver Edition from Thames and Cosmos. Long before Harry Potter and his friends at Hogwarts took over the world, kids and adults wished they could conjure things out of nowhere and make them vanish again, turn apples into oranges, and make objects float in air. With this kit, you'll be able to perform jaw-dropping feats of magic that will captivate and delight your audience, and probably amaze yourself in the process. It comes with props and instructions to do a hundred tricks— Knots in one rope jump to another. A wand levitates. Coins pass through objects and disappear. A small pile of sugar turns into a sugar cube, and a lot more. The kit comes with a nicely illustrated 72-page instruction manual, but there are also 26 online video tutorials so your budding Houdini can see the tricks actually being performed. If you like the silver edition, there are several larger sets for 150 and 200 tricks, for example. They're for ages 8 and up, Cost about 21 bucks at many retailers or thamesandcosmos.com. Chocolate Pen from Real Cooking. Now you and your little bakers can get your inner chocolatier on and create some very professional looking, not to mention tasty, treats. The kit comes with four preloaded pouches, each one with a different flavor and color. Melt the chocolate by dropping the pouches into hot water. Then, put the pouch into your pen handle, batteries required but not included, and you're ready to go. Write words or letters to customize cakes and cookies, draw shapes, or use the included molds to make guitars, hearts, rainbows, and more. Since each pouch has its own writing tip, switching colors is a breeze. The chocolate hardens fairly quickly at room temperature, even faster if you put it in the freezer, and clean up is really really easy it's for ages six and up it costs about 25 bucks at realcookingkids.com. dot com. the ultimate baking starter set from real cooking this well-designed kid-friendly kit comes with real kitchen tools that make cooking fun and a lot less messy it includes two non-spill bowls measuring cups a whisk a pastry bag with tip spatula 16 silicon cupcake liners a one-touch egg cracker that eliminates the need to fish around in the yolk to remove pieces of shell, and most of the ingredients to make eight magical tuxedo cupcakes and eight sprinkle surprise cupcakes. Of course, you'll have to provide the eggs, butter, and milk, but you wouldn't want those things to come in a box anyway, right? It's for ages six and up, but only with adult supervision, because you'll need to use a real oven to bake those treats. costs about $45 at retailers everywhere, or... More information is at RealCookingKids.com. The Electronic Safe Breaker from Yulu. When this battery-operated safe closes, the combination is set to a random number. Players pick a card and turn the combination lock to the number on the card. They then use the fingerprint scanner to test the number. If it's correct, the safe opens and releases some coins. If it's not, the player uses the spy stethoscope to get a private audio hint A high beep means the actual combination is higher than the card played. A low beep means it's lower. Be the first to open the safe, and you get the coins. The most coins wins, of course, but beware of the alarm coin, which means you'll have to put all of your treasure back into the safe. The game combines equal parts deductive reasoning and luck and will be fun for two to four players ages six and up. You can find out more at YuluToys.com. You'll find reviews of many, many, many more toys and games that you can do with your family at our website, parentsatplay.com. You can also drop us a line if you have a suggestion. We'll be back next week with another brand new Positive Parenting Show, but don't go quite yet because, as you know, there's a lot more of this Positive Parenting Show coming right up.
0: More with Mr. Dad, Armin brought after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network.
1: Hey there, welcome to the second part of today's positive parenting show. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Suppose a bright 10th grader comes home with this report card, A plus, A, 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 D. In other words, 80% of her grades are excellent and 20% are not. As a parent, which grade did you zero in on? And which of these grades do you think will occupy more of the dinner table conversation that night? In theory, that D should command only 20% of the conversation, right? But things are different in practice. We've all heard the expression, play to your strengths, but how many of us really do this in any systematic way? Instead, we tend to focus on our weaknesses. And as parents, well, we do the same thing. Go ahead, blame it on evolution. But when it comes to our kids, we often have what's called strength blindness or negative bias. In certain circumstances, negative bias or strength blindness actually helps us. We focus on the things that need to be improved, and we get better that way. But when it comes to parenting, and particularly over the long haul, it's not the best way to help our kids build resilience, optimism, and achievement. The solution? We need to be focusing on their strengths rather than their weaknesses. And the results are pretty amazing. We'll start talking about how to throw the strength switch in your relationship with your kids and your own life right after this.
0: You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, Save the food! we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food! Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food! Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council.
1: Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Lee Waters, who's the author of The Strength Switch, How the New Science of Strength-Based Parenting Can Help Your Child and Your Teen to Flourish. Lee, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me, Armin.
1: So, you'd think that talking about strengths and that sort of thing would be a a simple enough thing, because everybody could probably say, oh, my kid is so good at this, and so good at that, and so good at this, but... We have a tendency to not focus on those things. We have a tendency, and, and, and I'm not casting any blame here. I think everybody does this, just on, on the, the immediate problems at hand, the things that are going wrong. Why is that?
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, firstly, that's a really um, spot-on thing to say. And, you know, when I run my um, parenting workshops, the, by far the most common question I get from parents is something along the lines of, I love my kid, so why am I always so critical and I think that we're all puzzled about that. We, as parents, we we do love our kids. We do want to play to their strengths. And we, we don't understand why it is that our attention gets grabbed to the negative. And um, I always answer with two words, old wiring. You know, from a very early on in our evolution, our brains were wired to notice negative things more than positive things. And that's because it gave us a survival advantage. If our, If our brains were quickly picking up on what's happening in the environment, what's not quite right, what's the problem, what's the threat, what's missing here, what needs to be fixed. This was our brain's way of quickly alerting us to a potential danger in the environment and ensuring that we survived. And it's still our brain's way of doing that if you're about to step out onto the street and you just get this little warning um, that you're not even aware that you're reading yourself when you step back because your brain has quickly detected that. know a car is about to come around the corner that's your your survival advantage the psychologists call it our negativity bias and while you can see that that's that's actually a very helpful feature of the brain to ensure that we do survive and we stay out of harm's way we can also understand that it's not a particularly helpful feature when it comes to having a positive parent-child relationship because uh, as a parent irrespective of how much we love our children, irrespective of how upbeat our personality is, we have this negativity bias. Our, our brains are constantly scanning our environment and therefore our children for, you know, where's the problem, where's the error, what can go wrong, where's the threat, what needs to be fixed. And so it doesn't set up a, a particularly great way for us to connect with our children more positively. But, but here's the thing, when we focus on the negative, it helps us to survive but when we focus on the positive that's when we really start to thrive and so what mm. i'm doing in my work with uh, parents is helping them to learn some tips and techniques to counteract that negativity bias and learn how to more intentionally redirect their attention towards towards their children's positive qualities so that they can help their children to thrive so in a way it's you know your question is spot on your insight is spot on and it's a question i get a lot from parents and
1: yeah.
3: it is kind of just the way that our brain is built but we can. our brains are pattern-detecting organs, so we can change the way we think
1: Right, and well, therefore you,
3: change the dynamic of our children. Let me, let me children.
1: get to a specific example. You talk about this in the book, um, and, and I'm sure everybody has dealt with one of these, or pretty much everybody has dealt with one of these kinds of things, where you talk about somebody comes home with a report card that has four A's and a D. So you'd think, okay, mm-hmm. four A's and a D, then you know, if you divide that, then the D would be 20% of the, of the grades. But... I think a lot of people, I don't know, I, I'm kind of back and forth on this. I think a lot of people would say, that's fantastic. The four A's is amazing. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, what can we do to help you with math? Or some people would just do, and I, I think, unfortunately, I may fall into this camp sometimes, is is to say, well, my assumption is you're going to get A's anyway, so let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the one where you need the help, which can be perceived badly. Um, how do you... Learn to focus on, or how do you turn the the four A's into something that can help with the D because I think you know as it, it's a loving gesture to want to talk about the D assuming you're not going to be yeah. you know criticizing harshly, but to say, look you know where what happened here what can we what can we do? Do we need to do tutoring? do we need something else? Is it too hard is it you know do you need glasses you know whatever whatever it is that could be <laughs> causing the issue
3: yeah. And that, that's a really nice scenario and it's a great question to ask because we're, I'm not saying that we should ignore the D. It's not, It's not. It's really just a matter of the proportion of your attention. You know, what proportion of your attention goes to the D, which is 20% of the report card? What proportion of your attention goes to the good grades, which is 80%? And it's not about ignoring the D, but it's about approaching the D from a strength-based perspective. It's about approaching the D more constructively. And so... Um, you know, whilst it's nice for you to assume that your kids are going to get A's and, and say, well, that's, you know, great work, well done, that's what I expected of you. It's great for parents to have high aspirations for your children. What I'm suggesting is where do you do the analysis? Um, do you do the analysis of poor performance or do you do, do you do the analysis of high performance? And our temptation is to spend a higher proportion of our time doing an analysis of the poor performance of the D. So, do you need glasses? Do you need extra tutoring? You know, What do we need to get you above and beyond a D? Um, and what I'm saying is, yes, we need to do that, but be, be mindful of the proportion that we spend on that, because probably a more helpful way to go is to spend at least an equal, if not more amount, of proportion analysing what did get you those A's, rather than just the assumption of, that's great, that's what I expected, well done to actually sit down and say, well, what was it that allowed you to get that A? What was it about your study practices? What was it about your passion for the subject? What was it about the way in which you prepared? What was it about the teacher? Because if we can break down the elements of success, if we can break down the elements of what was allowing the student to get an A, then we can transfer some of those elements over to the poorer performing subject. Because here's the thing, when we only work on weaknesses... Uh, the best we can hope to do is sort of eradicate that weakness, but the absence of a weakness is not the same as the presence of a strength. Right. And so, if right. we're only focusing on how do we overcome a D, that's a very different question to how do we get an A.
1: Right. Does
3: that distinction make sense to you?
1: Oh, it makes perfectly good sense. And I, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can help me with something because th- th- this comes up every once in a while, and I've talked about it on the show before. But it, 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 an incident that happened with my my middle daughter that caused, I mean, years, literally years, probably more than a decade of friction between the two of us because of a misinterpretation of something that I said. She was a, a, still is, a wonderfully talented actress and in middle school was just did this knockout performance and just everybody was raving about this thing. And right afterwards, there was this kind of a cast party and I I said, Tolly, that was just un, the most unbelievable thing we really need to get you some voice lessons, which I right. meant. <laughs> and it sounds like you understood what I like. I meant. Oh, you could just go to Broadway, or you know, you've got, you know. Yeah, let you've let, got w- let you go telling here, Let's amplify it. Yeah, and she took that completely. If there were anything more further away than 180 degrees, I mean, she just took it completely <laughs> wrong, and and yeah. it just took me years and and i was trying to I, I think do what you're talking about like build on the strength you know what can we do to to make these your singing and your acting even better than it already is and uh, i'm not even sure exactly where i'm going with this right all of a sudden but it just seems like you know th- there's the intent to build on the strengths and then there's how somebody may interpret that
3: yeah And look, and that comes back to what I was speaking about before and our brain's negativity bias. And and unfortunately, in that particular circumstance, your daughter interpreted your comment from her negativity bias. So she interpreted that as this is a flaw or a weakness that my dad's trying to fix, whereas you were saying you've got talent, let's amplify it. Um, And I guess, I mean, all of these things, That it's really unfortunate that it created so much friction for such a long time, but all of these things come down to the basic... The basics of communication with your children, and one of I think one of the gifts of taking a strength-based approach is that um, the pattern over time with your children is that they understand that you will you are, you are always first and foremost coming from a position of strength before trying to fix weakness. And so over time, your children learn it and they understand that you you first and foremost see their positive qualities, so they're less likely to interpret. Um, that kind of scenario as a criticism and more likely to see that he's coming from a basis of strength. And this is about amplifying. This mm-hmm. is about helping to take me to the next level because he thinks I'm good enough for Broadway.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Talking with Lee Waters, who is the author of The Strength Switch, How the New Science of Strength-Based Parenting Can Help Your Child and Your Teen to Flourish. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to keep talking to Lee. I want to get into some of the specifics of how exactly we're going to be able to do this and make the transition in our own heads and uh, start focusing on the positive instead of the negative. I'm Armin Braun. You're listening to Positive Parenting. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes, and you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio, you're busy. Which is great, because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. (laughs) They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test. Because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by
2: the Ad Council and its Prediabetes Awareness Partners.
0: This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver. This
2: message brought to you by Meals and Wheels America. Welcome back and to Positive Parenting.
1: School. If it's just joining us, talking with Lee Waters, who's joining us from Australia, and she's the author of the Strength Switch: How the New Science of Strength-Based Parenting Can Help Your Child and Your Teen to Flourish. So let's Lee, get into some of the specifics here. If if you are a parent, like probably most of us, who has been not a hundred percent good about focusing on the strengths, how can you start to change your own mindset to? take a deep breath before you say something negative or before you focus on fixing a problem and steer that towards something else. It's, uh, you know, there is, as you said, old wiring. There's this instinct that's going to kick in and and make us not, you know, just sort of fall back into what we've always done.
3: Yeah, it's true. I mean, we are, we're definitely um, kind of working against our brains in in that way, and not, it's not just our brains. So We're working against the old wiring of our brains. We're also kind of working against pretty much the way we were raised. I mean, I think that most of us were raised by a generation of people who just by default assumed that the processes of development and improvement were about fixing weakness. They were about correcting what is wrong with us. I mean, you, you tell me, um and what comes into your mind? What's the first thing that comes into your mind when I use the expression areas for improvement?
1: Areas for improvement. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be just a, a lifetime on the couch somewhere. I, uh, <laughs> it's
3: because we don't think of improvement as we, we automatically think that improvement is about correcting weakness. And yes. I think um, that was the gen- that was the generation that was the, that was the way that we were raised. That was the belief that our parents had that they had this kind of default thinking that development and improvement were about fixing weakness and correcting what was wrong with us. And sure doing it in a loving way because our role as a parent is to well first and foremost to love our children unconditionally but then to raise our children you know to develop and improve them so that we do our job as parents we we bring them into um, their their adult life as kind of happy robust productive people and so what I'm trying to do with this strength-based approach is just is get and you use the word mindset and that's a really good word is to get today's parents to start to think about and just to question that deeply held assumption that improvement is about correcting what is wrong with us and flipping the switch to also expand that idea that improvement can also be building up what is right with us. We can always improve what is right with us and when we do, that's when we thrive. And so one of the... I think there's kind of two broad approaches to your question and one is that mindset shift is really just stopping and thinking, okay, what is my definition or what's my understanding of these processes of development and improvement? Because they're essentially the two processes that I'm cultivating in my children to take them from a newborn to an adult that I deliver into the world. And if I have this implicit, unquestioned assumption that development and improvement is about fixing what's wrong with my kid, and we do that lovingly. I mean, we we kind of want to patch, patch up the holes, Smooth out the rough spots shore up the weaknesses because we don't want our children's weaknesses to end up limiting them Uh, but I think what positive psychology has done is kind of flip that on its head and said okay well that's one way of going we can kind of fix the weaknesses and and therefore prevent those weaknesses from limiting our kids but an alternative way is to actually build up the strengths because when you build up the strengths the strengths outweigh the limitations you use the strengths to sort of overcome the limitations mm-hmm. so a big part of it is is just this mindset shift and right. intentionally focusing on the positive qualities in your kids before you focus on their weaknesses now that's that's kind of easier said than done because um what i've learned in my own work as a psychologist over the last two decades and um, my research at the university and working with parents is that there's a There's often a gap between knowledge and practice. So I talk to a lot of parents about redirecting their attention, shifting their emphasis first and foremost to strength before weakness. And most parents understand the concept. Most parents say, yes, I understand that. In in theory, I get it. In practice, it's hard. So it's that knowledge-practice gap. And so one of the things that I've been working with now over the last 10 years, and this is just a a little kind of mental tool, if you like, for parents, is this idea of the strength switch. that, of course, as you know, is the title of my book. And is a very simple mental tool um, whereby you just imagine like a light switch inside of your brain. And when you pick up, when you notice that your attention is going to the negative, just visualize yourself flicking the switch, flicking at it on. I, in my brain, I imagine that when my switch, when my strength switch is off, and that's kind of... The brain's default mode, that's the negativity bias. The default is that the switch will be off. That when it's off, that's when I'm zooming in on my two children, Nicholas and Emily, that's when I'm zooming in on their problems, behaviors, you know, <laughs> the fact that they're on the phone all the time, the fact that they won't put their shoes away, whatever it happens to be uh, in that moment. And it's like there's darkness. It's like I can't see
1: um, <laughs> yeah. their
3: strengths. And so this is when I remember this is just this little mental, kind of like a little mental pinch. It's like I reach inside my brain and I flick the switch. And when I flick the switch, it turns the light on and it reminds me to look first for their positive qualities before. So that's kind of, that's the mindset piece, yeah.
1: Right. Well, that that right there, what you just said, I think is something that in some ways will answer this next question that I have, which is, you know, kids can be harsher self-critics than their parents and than other people can be. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of my other kids, is, is, well, they're all this way, but one of them in particular is extremely self-critical and driven by uh, worries about failing and the need to be, th- to be excellent, and she is frequently f- relying or, or spending a lot of time talking about or thinking about where she's failed. And mm-hmm. you know, no matter how many discussions we have about the importance of failure and all the things that you can learn from it, that doesn't necessarily solve the problem or get her to think mm-hmm. about this. And so, how do you how do you work with kids? Not only I mean, so we've been talking so far about it, as parents how we can change our mindset and how we can flip that switch, yeah. but how do we talk to our kids about uh, you know? Okay, see, I'm going to talk more about your strengths, but you need to do this too.
3: Yeah yeah that's a really lovely question and i mean the strength switch is a tool for children as well and i do a lot of work with children and um i have a you know a very nice graphic that i use when i go out to schools of a light switch and what happens when you flick the switch on and what happens when you you um and what happens when it's off so that might be um a good tool for you to use with casey i think i mean a big part of this is the questions the questions that we ask our children and a lot of our behavior um, is driven first and foremost by the questions we're asking ourselves, and we're often unaware of those questions that we are asking ourselves. I mean, you and I um, just spoke before, Armin, and I think it's one thirty in the afternoon where you are, right? Pretty close. Yeah, just after, and, it, and it's um, 6.30 a.m. where I am the next day in Australia because we're ahead on the time zone. But even for for me to get up to have this interview, whether I know it or not, I've asked myself a whole lot of questions. I've asked myself, what time should I get up? Um, do I have breakfast before I have the interview? Should I have a cup of tea or should I have a coffee? If I have a coffee, should I have a double shot because it's quite early in the morning? So most of our behaviour is preceded by a question that we're asking ourselves. And we're often unaware of the questions we are asking ourselves and how they then lead on to certain actions. You know, So I would guess with your daughter that... Um, a very powerful way, in addition to teaching her about the the strength switch and sort of more intentionally flicking the light onto the good qualities, the times she succeeded her strengths, is to work with her about what are the questions that she's constantly asking herself. And this is where, um, again, a strength-based, you can bring strengths into the family in a fairly easy and effective way, simply by being aware of the questions you're asking and asking more strength-based questions. So um, a very common question that we, Often ask our kids, is how was school today? And um, I'm not sure about your children, Armin, but I don't get a particularly <laughs> great response when I Fine. ask my children that question. I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, when they were little, they would, I think they genuinely wanted to answer, but they had just kind of forgotten what had happened during their day at school. Um, and then, of course, they go into teenagers and you get that sort of one word response. Sometimes the response isn't even a word, it's more like a kind of noise. Um, So instead of asking your children how was school today, ask them what strengths did you use at school today or what strengths did you see someone else use at school today? If they've got a big event coming up, an assignment, a project, a sporting event, an an artistic event, a social event, um, ask them questions about it, but ask the questions from a strength-based perspective. You know, what strengths do you think will help you to maximise or make the most of or have a good time at this event? If they're having a problem in their life, um, if they've had conflict with a friend, for example, then again, it's a strength-based question. You know, what strengths do you think were missing in this situation that caused the conflict? Or what strengths do you think you could bring to this situation so it doesn't happen next time? Hmm. So that's a way that I would be suggesting that you work with her just around what are the questions she's asking herself. Um, and it sounds like she's asking more of the questions of what if I fail, what will happen if I fail, and just flipping that around its head and saying, okay, what would happen if you succeeded? Let's look at that. Let's look at the positive opposite and getting yeah. her to be more mindful of the questions she's asking herself.
1: Lee Waters is the author of of The Strength Switch, How the New Science of Strength-Based Parenting Can Help Your Child and Your Teen to Flourish. And, Lee, where can people find out more about you? There's You're all over social media.
3: I am all over social media. Thank you for um, directing people my way. So it's at ProfLeeWaters, and just... Um, to let your listeners know, Lee is spelled L-E-A. So it's at Prof Lee Waters, L-E-A, W-A-T-E-R-S. And they can learn more specifically about the Strength Switch at www.strengthswitch.com.
1: Excellent. Lee, thanks so much.
3: Thank you for your time. I've really enjoyed it.